Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, introducing the new podcast, which is the place for moms to find encouragement, hope, and inspiration, where we're supporting moms in the trenches of motherhood. You will receive practical tips and strategies to address the developmental needs of your children with a positive parenting perspective in mind. Here at Moms Changing the World, we are moms on the journey of changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, child development nurse practitioner, parent coach, and CEO, your chief encouragement officer. Moms everywhere who are raising world changers, one child at a time, one day at a time. Excited to bring you another great interview. And if you've been around here for a little while, you know that I love talking about food and and healthy foods and ways to feed our growing families. And so I've featured at least, you know, one chef or dietitian most of the seasons that I've put the the show together. And I ask almost every guest about their go-to meals. And so I'm really thrilled that today we can feature a cookbook author, Nisha Melvani, and get right into how to feed our families in a real plant-based, healthful way. So before I dive into more about her, I like using a proverb as an umbrella for our conversation. And an African proverb that I came across that I really liked for today is, the forest not only hides man's enemies, but it's full of man's medicine, healing power, and food. Again, the forest not only hides man's enemies, but it's full of man's medicine, healing power, and food. And I like that because I always think about food as our first medicine. And even as a medication prescriber in clinic with children who have developmental delays or neurodiversity, I am always talking with them about the importance of the foundation of healthy eating, healthful eating to fuel our bodies and our brains in a way that is powerful and very important and can't be overlooked. And so I have always been drawn towards vegan recipes, even though I myself am not vegan because I've always loved how, how much flavor and how much uh, is infused into plant-based foods so that they can really provide that, that sensory you know, benefit as well as be healthful and nutrition, you know, nutritious for us. So to give you a little bit more about Nisha, her cookbook is called Practically Vegan, and it's a, it's a beautiful cookbook that you'll definitely want to add to your, your library. Yes, she's showing it there with more than 100 easy, delicious vegan dinners on a budget. And so I love that it's also about economical ideas for, for feeding families. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's degree from Columbia University and attended culinary school at the Natural Gourmet Institute in New York City. She is the mom of three teenage girls, and we'll definitely pick her brain about that in a bit, as well as a blogger at Cooking for Peanuts, which you can find on Instagram and her website. Nisha, so excited to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. 
I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> great, great. Yeah. So uh, a fun fact about the book, it turns out that you released this book and wrote it during the pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? I think it was a saving grace. You know, <laughs> everyone was cooking during the pandemic. I think, well, yeah. almost everyone. And yeah. I got paid to do it. So yeah. <laughs> after years of no income and, you know, trying to help people to eat healthier because that's my passion. I um, cooked for peanuts, meaning for nothing and for kids. <laughs> and, you know, lo and behold, in the pandemic, I got this cookbook deal, which I didn't expect. And it was really good timing. Yeah. I had an opportunity to experiment a lot being stuck at home, but I am a home-based mom anyway. And nice. there was second advantage is my kids were home. So I had some real testers because teenagers <laughs> are the ultimate test as to how That's delicious right. your food is. That's right. And they are honest, brutally honest at times. Brutally. Yes. So yeah. I, I had official recipe testers and then I had the teen recipe testers. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Good, good. And so, you know, speaking of your passion around food, how did you kind of come to discover, you know, that this was an area that you wanted to, to dive into? So I think, you know, culturally coming from Jamaica, an island where you have so much fresh produce and yeah. so unique and different and so many flavorful spices, you know, the food is just hearty, delicious. I was exposed to that. I was also exposed to my spam loving mom who <laughs> gave us a lot of canned food. So I started to see this big difference between eating fresh food. And then I also got exposure to ITIL food from the Rastafarianism in Jamaica. And that I loved. I realized when I ate like that, I felt so good because it's mostly mm. vegan. They don't really add salt and it still tastes good. And I felt good eating it. So I had this contrast between eating the canned food and the fresh food and all the flavors. And, you know, I started to really appreciate the difference with yeah. home cooked natural foods. Yeah, that's great. And there is nothing like, you know, that, that home cooked meal, you know, that home cooked as fresh as possible. And myself and my husband were fortunate enough to grow up, you know, having it and kind of taking it for granted. Where, you know, as, as the generations have gone on, it's not necessarily that way, especially with the convenience of eating out and fast food and all of those things. Yes. And I think, you know, there's a misconception that eating healthy or vegan is more expensive mm -hmm. than fast food. Now, sure, it can be because there are products that are, you know, more processed that are expensive, mm -hmm. but there is also a way to do it on a budget, which is what inspired me to write this book too, because I feel it can be more accessible to people. So they're not put off by all those expensive products that they think they need to be vegan. Exactly. Yeah. That's really important. And I think anybody and everybody can appreciate the, like I was mentioning earlier, the infusing of incredible flavors into vegetables. And I think I remember growing up, I was, you know, fortunate enough that we had a balance of the kind of home-cooked Ghanaian foods from our you know, African tradition. But then my mom also was great at putting together some of the American, you know, standards and the Italian and just the, the common everyday foods that 
were a part of, you know, the culture around us growing up in, in California. And so I, I like that anybody and everybody can put different foods together, put different spices together and, and almost travel the world, right? When it yes. comes to comes to food. And Akua, I spent many years in England in boarding school. My parents <laughs> sent me off at seven and the food there was terrible. And, you know, we were given a lot of vegetables, but they were not seasoned well. They were mushy. Yeah. And so yeah. that also inspired me to create delicious vegetables because sure, that yeah. would put anyone off vegetables right. for life. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And then a lot of our kids, like you said, feel like, oh, I don't like vegetables. And it's often, you know, for that reason that it's not, you know, maybe handled or cooked as, as flavorably or as sensitively yes. as it could be, or it's overcooked, right? And, and, and then some of the nutritional benefit is kind of cooked right. away as well. And then our food supply too, you know, has changed over, you know, the, the yeah. decades as well. And so I wish that, you know, I, I, I always sense it when I visit, you know, other countries or when I'm in Ghana. And I eat like a pineapple or I eat something like a mango and I just, and, or even as simple as a banana. And I'm like, oh my goodness, right? Of course, there's the it's difference, so different. In, you know, yeah. the territory that I'm in, but it just, it's just alive in ways that sometimes, you know, I think are, um, you know, the kind of the, the society of food that, that we have access to yes. doesn't necessarily come to life in that way. It's so true. The different countries, mm -hmm. the fruit tastes very different. And mm -hmm. I'm also mm -hmm. of Indian descent. So we go to India quite a bit with the kids mm -hmm. and the mangoes there are just oh. unbelievably good. I know. I know. Oh my goodness. See, mouth is watering already. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> a good mango lassi. And <laughs> That's right. That's right. Good, good. So then is, you know, motherhood what you thought it would be? as you were kind of discovering and putting together your passion around food? I think I didn't think too much about motherhood before I became a mother. I <laughs> yeah, kind of just yeah. like went into it, eyes closed. <laughs> and just, I knew I wanted a lot of kids. I used to say I wanted six when I was younger. I yeah. think because I wasn't raised with my siblings or as a family so much. Mm. We were all in different schools. And I had this dream of um, like the sound of music where, well, yeah. you know, <laughs> no wonder we get along so well. Yeah. <laughs> I love that musical as well. Yeah. <laughs> so we would be the Indian Jamaican Von Trapp family or something. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, I wanted like this big household of just lots of energy. And, you know, I think we do have that in a way. It's definitely I wanted kids to be close in age. So I had three and three and a half years, which oh wow. Kind of crazy. <laughs> Kudos to you. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted them to be friends or, you know, because I wasn't close to my siblings in, sure. you know, being raised. So I definitely think that did come true for me. But what I didn't think about is when they are close in age, there's a lot of like quibbles too. <laughs> there's a lot of fighting. <laughs> so I got both sides of the coin there. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, siblings, you know, developmentally, siblings are that testing ground, right? For relationships and for conflict resolution and problem solving. And so but it can be, like you said, the foundation for a lifelong friendship is incredible. Yes. And it's three girls. So they really, yeah. it's like, you know, three sisters who get along. 
Definitely. Yeah. I do see like a difference in the middle child. Like, you know, you always get told that and <laughs> my husband's a middle child, my sister, and I definitely see traits. I, I was talking about it to my husband yesterday. There are similar traits with the three of them. You know? Sure, sure. Yeah. And there's oldest child patterns and youngest yes. child patterns as well. You know, being an oldest child myself. So yeah, Me I, too. I find all of I'm that. an oldest child. <laughs> yeah, yes, I find all of that very, very fascinating and, and, and super fun. Good, good. All right. So then if we, you know, move into kind of talking about food and preparing food, whether, you know, you're vegan or not, I think just the preparation process can sometimes, you know, feel overwhelming, especially, I, you know, think back at the pandemic when it was constant and it was you know, even just grocery shopping was a challenge and everything was just different. And now, you know, we're thankfully settling into more of the kind of the usual patterns and routines, but, you know, preparing a good meal and good plant-based meal starts, you know, long before you're in the kitchen. And so um, how do you know, where, where do you get started or what advice do you have for kind of beginning that process? So interestingly, you know, writing this book in COVID where food supply was affected, yeah. um, you, you know, and people were like hoarding food. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's, it's, I actually had to be very practical writing the book and think about what is available easily because even in, you know, and in that time, things weren't that available easily. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. luckily I was not writing a baking book cause that would have been terrible. There wasn't oh, even yes. flour. Oh, there. that's right. <laughs> um, it's a memory now, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the food supply is still somewhat affected. And I think this book that I wrote really embraces that limited supply and that you use. And for me, the way I cook and I've learned to cook with three kids, I'm very practical because it's yes. expensive otherwise. Yeah. And I don't have that much time when you think about all the other things you're doing. So I have a set, um, a set amount of spices and condiments that I use over and over again in different Mm -hmm. ways for all my meals. And then I think when I go to the grocery store about buying vegetables and fruit and what kind of protein, like beans, legumes, tofu, Mm -hmm. tempeh, what protein will I use and what, carbohydrates will I get you know whole grain rice pasta and you don't always have to go for whole grain because if you have children who will eat white pasta but they don't eat a lot of vegetables and you want to incorporate more vegetables into their you know diet you can use a vehicle that they already like like white pasta and then add the vegetables to that I don't believe you should hide them like you know Mm -hmm. some say because you mm-hmm. want them to embrace them and it may take a few tries, but they mm-hmm. trust your kids. They will get there if you keep trying. But, you know, I think having this certain set of spices, aromatics, your onion, ginger, and garlic, and these set of mm-hmm. condiments and using them repeatedly, you're saving money. And it's not as intimidating because you learn just different ways of using them. As long as you just buy whatever produce is on sale or what looks extra mm-hmm. fresh, Mm-hmm. My recipes are very flexible and my food at home, it's like I can adapt it based on what's available. Mm-hmm. You just aim for your three macronutrients, you know, get your starches, your good fat and your protein. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You open the, the book with some really great information around, you know, those, those areas, you know, how to find, you know, the different proteins and you spend some good time talking about like beans and how to prepare them. And so it's a, it's a great, you know, great tool for learning and 
considering, right? How to make it as easy as possible by buying in bulk is one of the tips you share in there and, you know, having it, some of those basics on hand. And I can share, you know, the, the, one of the recipes that I tried in the cookbook and, you know, you can share some of your favorites next to was the creamy lentil and corn chili. Because uh, I have oh, lentils I in that. our, yeah, I have lentils in our pantry all the time and all the other ingredients, you know, were available as well. And so for, you know, those who might you know be interested, it was only, you know, I think three quarters cup of the brown or green lentils. I actually ended up using, I think, red lentils. So it was, like you said, flexible. Yeah. And yeah, you chop your aromatics, as you mentioned, an, an onion, some garlic, jalapeno, if you like you know, the, the heat, I tend to use like a red pepper because our family doesn't do as much with spice, but right. I had a, you know, the can of tomatoes and you really just, you know, kind of soften all the aromatics and then you throw in your spices. So chili powder, uh, smoked paprika, chipotle powder. Again, if you wanted more of the heat to ground mustard seed, I had mustard powder, ground mustard yeah, p- yeah. Uh, powder that I just sprinkled in there instead I since I didn't yeah. Yeah, have the seeds tomato paste. And then I always have frozen corn. And I, I like, I think Trader Joe's has a, like a fire, you know, I grilled corn one. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it just has that little bit of that kind of smoky essence to it. So, you know, you throw that in there and yeah, you know, I think in less than 30 minutes, you know, it was all cooked up and ready to go. And then you kind of top it off with some fresh cilantro or parsley. If you have that ground black pepper, salt and to your taste and lime juice. So it was, it was delicious. And again, since our family eats, you know, pretty much everything we, I also had some of, I think like ground Turkey or something that I had, you know, that you could either have on the side or as a supplement, but all of these great flavors, you know, kind of brought that together, especially, you know, the next day and the next day, right. With the leftovers. Yes. I eat a lot of leftovers. (laughs) Now my husband started taking them for lunch and I'm like, wait a minute, that's my lunch. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. That's what I, I think it's important. Like you just said to have, they do give a lot of flexibility. If you don't have all those spices, it still works. The recipe works. Right. You just stick to the quantities of, you know, lentils or vegetables in cups. That's why I like to give it in cups so people can just substitute. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think growing up with so many different cultures and in so many places, I Mm -hmm. sort of don't have boundaries anymore about which spices you need to stick to in various cuisines, because I think so many offer so many wonderful flavors and they can be mixed and matched. You don't have Mm -hmm. to be limited by that. You know, all those delicious Mexican spices, they taste good in so many different things and burgers and patties, things you wouldn't think to use them in soups, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Good. So then what are your go-to recipes, you know, from the book that your family, you know, really loves or that you find, you know, every week we're, we're, we're using this one or that one. So to be truth be told, I make something different. And this sounds kind of crazy, but it's because this method is so easy. I make something different every night since I started the Instagram. Isn't that like, and it may not be hugely different because they're all based on the same thing, but there are variations depending on what I have, because once you follow this sort of strategy, um, you can make anything and you become creative. And I wasn't born a chef or a good cook. Mm-hmm. I learned by practice. And I think that's, what's important is to have faith in yourself and you, you can do it. Yes. You will become very good by practicing. But I will say one of 
you know, it's, it's, it's like choosing your favorite child, right, your favorite right. recipe. <laughs> but a couple that I, I do really like, well, I love the potato tofu fritters burgers because it sort of reminds me of tikkis, the Indian like potato tikkis we ate growing mm. up, but I've made it healthy by adding tofu for good fat and protein And they, you know, it tastes really good with the tofu and you can also bake them as opposed to deep fry them. And so that is one of my favorites. And I like burgers and fritters because you don't have to serve them as sandwiches or as burgers. You can put them in a veggie bowl, roast some veggies, put the patties in there, add some greens. You know, it's very flexible. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Kind of idea of a bowl, kind of a meal as well. Because then, yes, you can, everybody can kind of put it together the way they like. So for us, exactly. we do our Taco Tuesday, right? And so everybody can, if you want to have like the quesadilla version of the meal, you can put it together that way. Or I do the bowl with uh, some greens at the bottom and then layer on everything else. So, And I think really bowl really style fun. is great for kids because you mm-hmm. can lay out those different parts for it to build a bowl and give them the control to build it themselves. And as long as you present all those healthful options, they may not take every one, but presenting it, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Presenting it and they see it more and they become familiar seeing it, they're more likely to start trying it. And you Mm -hmm. at least know you're offering a variety of healthy ingredients and doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. too many. And they get to build our own bowl, which makes them feel empowered over right. their diet. Right, right. And, you know, you as the chef or, you know, maybe it's, you know, as the parents together are putting, you know, you get to, you're choosing the what, right. And the, how it's prepared and you can get them in the kitchen. I, I've been having my little one in the kitchen with me this week and she's just, I've been mixing everything up and helping with some, even some of the chopping. And it's so much fun to do it together, but uh, yeah, you're kind of deciding the what and the when, you know, like the meal layout for the week. And then the kids then also get to decide, right. How much, and like you said, which items, right. And like you said, they have to learn and practice having that, that sense of control. They're more likely to, to eat what they themselves are putting together. Right. You should enjoy the cooking with your kids while they're young, because when they're teenagers, homework (laughs) takes over and like friends take over. And I feel sad that we kind of lost that in COVID. My 13 year old then at the time made full meals for us. Like she is so good in the kitchen. You know, she kind of has that thing. And we would say we're so overwhelmed and she was had more free time. So she would go in and the same method. She would just look what there was and create food for the family. Yeah. That's incredible. Yes. Inviting them early and often. Is- I think I put her off cooking. Though. <laughs> it was too much work in the end. She's like, wait a minute, this is hard. <laughs> right. Right. But then, you know, like you said, the more they do it, you know, the, the easier it gets. And I am seeing that tween, you know, my older one's a tween. And so I am seeing that that shift yeah. where it takes a lot, a little bit more to, to get her, but, yeah. you know, we're trying to incorporate it right as part of, you know, the expectation, right? right. You know, everybody's pitching in somehow, and then you can put a, a meal together, you know, for the week. So what would you like to do as your, you know, kind of contribution for the week? Right. So you can set up kind of a system where that's part of, you know, their, their expectation or their yeah. chore or their, their, Blessing. I, I try to call them blessings. The way you're blessing the family this week. <laughs> oh, I love that. I'm going to use that. That's yes, lovely. Yes, I think I did yes. make this mistake. So as a mom, I will tell you, I'm overly nurturing because my mom 
just never did those things. She was nurturing in other ways. ways, And so I found I did way too much for them in terms of um, cutting food and, you know, just helping in the kitchen. I did most of the cleaning up and I feel it was a disservice to them because now my eldest is going to college and she's going to have to learn to do all these things because, you know, she does other stuff. She doesn't not Mm -hmm. contribute, but Mm -hmm. I think if you have young kids, start young. Right, right. And then make it, you know, make it fun. fun. Like we, yeah, you can. So it's pretty easy when they're young to make it a, a game or a competition or, to, you know, add imagination. And we talk about yeah. this in a previous episode with Sarah Nikarak, you know, our, our perspective, you know, our approach and play infused in all of this is super helpful. And that's episode 44, mm-hmm. if you want to listen back. And speaking of which, she also had a great memory hack for teaching us the top 10, you know, brain foods. And so definitely listen back uh, to, to have a way to remember and work with your kids. I, I taught it to my kids and they know, you know, what the top 10 brain foods are as well because of that. And so, you know, as we're yeah, moving forward, when it comes to, you know, snacks and other quick kind of put togethers, what are some of the you know, things that you like to do for that? So I have found that, you know, being while you're the parent and they're in the house, you get to choose a variety of snacks and then they can choose how much or what they eat of it. But I think it's important to put healthy options in the home because they're going to be exposed to so many unhealthy options in the world, right? Anywhere else. That they can try there. And what I did learn is if you make it available, like, okay, so again, it's probably over nurturing, but Mm -hmm. when they're coming home from school, I know they're tired and hungry. And so instead of letting them then go and raid the chips or whatever it is, the healthy chips Mm -hmm. um, or cereal, they love cereal. What Mm -hmm. I do is I cut a bunch of different fruit and I just lay it all out and some almonds, you know, nuts, to balance that. And I just lay it all out on the kitchen counter, which you can see behind me. And so once they walk in, that's what they're going to see. So when they're starving, they'll eat a lot more than you give them credit. Like they'll almost eat anything because they're so hungry. And, you know, most kids love fruit. So that's what I started doing a little while back. And they are used to it now and they eat it, you know, and I think that's a good Mm -hmm. opportunity to present them with healthy options because they're hungry. So that's a mainstay snack. And then I keep around, you know, obviously not everything is super 100%, you know, healthy in the sense that it's packaged, they might have some like low sodium, I always look for so some and Mm -hmm. the fewer ingredients, the better, but they might have some chips like corn chips or popcorn, we do have fresh popcorn, but sometimes they're lazy, and they don't want to make it. And, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and some like just healthy bars, just, you know, as a backup. But that's not your mainstay. That's not what you go to, but it's there when, you know, it's, you want to treat sometimes. Sure. Sure. I also saw in the cookbook that you have a mug cake for like a kind of a cornbread mug cake. I think it is. Yeah. How did you come up with that one? Mug cakes are kind of all the rage in COVID at some point, you know, it's an (laughs) an easy form of baking. I love cornbread so much. But sometimes you don't want to make a whole loaf, a whole, you know, loaf of cornbread because who's going to, they may not eat it or the lack of ingredients at the time, you know, the supply has like, well, why can't I just have one? Right. (laughs) 
like for myself or if yeah. someone doesn't else doesn't like it i make it for myself so i was like oh i'll make it into a mug cake and yeah. i hadn't seen a cornbread mug cake before Where so I, you know, I tested it and it worked and I really enjoyed it. And I was like, this is great because, you know, a kid yeah. can make this. It's you microwave it. It's so easy. Right. It's like just mix it and microwave it. So mm-hmm. I think that's a good snack for them. If you have those sort of ingredients, it's healthy, mm-hmm. um, you know, not too much sugar or sweetener. You need very little. And they learn mm-hmm. how to do those mug cakes. My kids were making mug cakes throughout COVID. Yeah. Yeah. But they, I do remember that it was kind of that quick and easy portion controlled <laughs> way <Yes>. to, <laughs> yeah, to get in some things. So yeah, I cannot wait to, to try that recipe. And then another interesting one that I'm looking forward to is miso eggplant steaks with spicy peanut noodles. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? So it's funny you bring that one up because what's been so lovely about the book being released is I'm getting photos from people who have made the recipes and it's like so heartwarming for me, (laughs) you know, like it's really in the world. And that was one of the recipes someone shared that they made yesterday and it looked so beautiful. So I think like what inspired that is I believe food should look beautiful because you eat with your eyes first. And I know cutting the eggplant you know, they, your audience may not be able to see it, but cutting the eggplant in that manner where it looks like a steak. Yeah. The length, long lengthwise in half. Right. And right? doing the mm-hmm. crosshatch pattern on top. Mm-hmm. It sort of appeals to people who do eat meat because it looks mm-hmm. steak-like, right? Mm-hmm. And it is, eggplants are meaty, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of texture. Yeah. Once, but I love you know meat. So. Right. Yes, exactly. And I think people get put off by eggplant, but this is such an easy recipe. And the miso adds so much flavor and it's so easy to add flavor mm-hmm. with miso. Mm-hmm. And it adds that umami, you know, that meaty quality. Mm-hmm. So you don't miss the meat. Yeah. So yeah. that's sort of in, how that got inspired. Nice. Nice. And then uh, tell us a little bit about jackfruit, this teriyaki pulled jackfruit sandwich looks amazing. And jackfruit is often used as a meat substitute. It is. And I think, you know, when you think of fresh jackfruit, it's so intimidating, right? It's so big. They're so big. And cutting them up is is hard. So, you know, again, I think it's important that people don't give themselves a hard time from using frozen vegetables or canned foods because you should just do what you need to do to get a home-cooked meal on the table. And it's okay. You don't, you know, and so same with jackfruit, you don't need to go cut the jackfruit. You know, I, I don't often. Right, so right. the canned versions are very good. I do tend to rinse it for the extra sodium before I use it to reduce the sodium. And, you know, it's very easy to prepare and it absorbs flavors so easily from mm-hmm. marinades or sauces. And the texture is great, very meaty again. Mm-hmm. And it is like a kind of pulled pork. So, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, meat eaters enjoy that kind of texture, you want to appeal to that as well. So they don't feel like, oh, it's so foreign to them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why jackfruit is so popular. It's easy to work with and readily available in the cans. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I've, I think I've yeah, tried it once or twice and I have been very impressed or surprised at how, you know, meat-like it is. I did so- have a jackfruit biryani once. Uh-huh. The Indian rice dish, and it was okay. amazing. It was so okay. good. Yeah, that does sound delicious. Well, and you know, speaking of kind of like ethnic, you know, takes on things, 
Why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, your kind of your approach with your family's ethnic makeup, you know, the diverse backgrounds that you and your husband have, and then, you know, how you're talking to your children uh, about race and empathy. So I feel these days it's so different from when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. I think the schools do a really, you know, most some schools, their school does a very good job of bringing that into their daily lives at school. You know, they have group meetings and different, you know, ethnic makeups that they can join their own or even others right. and talk right. about race and culture. In fact, they teach me so much about other cultures. Yeah. Like they are so aware of the world now. And it's really lovely to see that, how things have really changed in that respect. And for us, from when they were young, I never even really had to talk so much about it because we were fortunate enough to visit our countries, Jamaica and India. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband grew up in Africa, which we still haven't visited, but I would love to. And so Nigeria, right? Yes. in Nigeria, but they have been able to learn by experience, by seeing and being, you know, when we go to Jamaica, we're not staying in a hotel or removed from the real, you know, experience of Jamaica, we are embracing it because we're in my parents' home. And, you know, they are part of that culture now. So they really get immersed in it. And, you know, we eat the local foods, we're not eating the sort of, you know, Americanized versions of those foods. Mm -hmm. Um, We Mm -hmm. love ackee, it's so good and dumplings, Mm -hmm. and, you know, all those delicious Mm -hmm. meals. So, and then in India, it's the same, you know, we'll try the street food because it's so good and really go because we have my husband's family there. They take mm-hmm. us to the local places that are popular. Right, that they love. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think they've experienced it just by visiting it. Right. right. And yeah, that's a good reminder that, you know, when you are traveling, if you can step outside of the bubble of where you're going, if it's like a resort or a hotel where it's, you know, safe and available to, to venture into, you know, some of the, the more local areas, you might have to work a little harder to find that opportunity or get to that restaurant that's off the beaten path, but it may very well be worth it for, like you said, the lived experience of the culture that you get to share with your family. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been very not- organic, I think for them. That's awesome. That's awesome. And if you're not traveling, then you can try some of these foods, right? Right in your own home, right? And infuse some of those flavors and use that as a a little quick, quick mini trip. (laughs) And one other thing I did do uh, as when they were little is I read books to them from many different cultures. Um, I really made an effort to get a variety. And so they were exposed through that, you know, because little children, they get absorbed in what you read them. Right, right. Yes, we love talking about books and sharing books here as well. So that's, yeah, that's a, yeah. a nice We still talk about the books they read. Like they're when so they memorable. Kids. We still remember. And I also, <laughs> I, you know, they were exposed to Spanish very young. So they speak Spanish and they, yes. you know, were read books in Spanish all the time. Oh, and we like awesome. sit and t- um, remember, we like say the words together because we yeah. still remember. And another thing that's huge for my kids is music. We are a very musical yes. family. And they, I think that was instilled from when they were little and there's yeah. still songs from when they were little that suddenly will start singing like mm-hmm. La Cucaracha or, right. you know, it's like so fun. <laughs> so I think yeah. there's a lot of memories from that age and yeah. it's important to expose them at that age. Absolutely. And like, like you said, they're sponges, especially yeah. when they're young for a lot of that. And it sounds like even as teenagers, they're not, you know, 
they haven't forgotten it. It's still in them and it still brings, you know, the smiles and the fun. Yeah. So great. Well, you know, Nisha, I see you as a mom changing the world, using your voice as a nutritionist, as a vegan cookbook author and a vegan blogger. Can you give us, you know, a few tips for how you're kind of creating balance and finding joy in all that you are juggling? So balance, I'm still working on. Well, I, you know, I think (laughs) when my kids were growing up, I did my whole existence was sort of being a mom to them. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough to be home and it was imbalanced in that everything was about them. Mm-hmm. Um, now that they're older, I have definitely experimenting with being a working mom from home mm-hmm. and giving to them. And it's, you know, some days it's a good balance. Some days I don't feel I did it well. And I, you know, have to think, okay, tomorrow, how do I do that better? So I think it's a work in progress. Yeah. I, you know, I try to do at home now. It, this is one other good thing about, you know, the Zoom thing is, I do live yoga classes. I am part of the Iyengar Institute, mm. which is the original yoga. And I do, you know, I really enjoy taking that time at home when they're in school and doing a class, live class and sipping my green tea, which you're not supposed to see. That's the advantage of doing it on Zoom. You can't do that in the <laughs> studio. I'd get into trouble. <laughs> yes, we have grace. Yes. At so, home. <laughs> you know, I try to incorporate those things too, to, for your men- for my mental health, you know, um, right, right. but it is like my own business now. So it does consume a lot of my time, but it is, it's a work in balance. And I think an important thing, which I fail sometimes is our self-talk as parents. You know, I'm hard on myself. Mm. We criticize ourselves a lot where we see the negatives of what we do. And I think it's important and for myself too, to remember, to see all the positives we're doing, you know, we're yeah. trying our best and not to have that negative self-talk because, you know, our kids can see it too, I think. They can. Yes. And the way we talk to ourselves, as you mentioned, you know, that self-talk is so automatic. And we sometimes don't even catch ourselves doing it, but growing in awareness of the fact that we need to have just as much grace for ourselves as we have for our kids and our friends and other people around us is a, is a, is a process. It's a journey to really yeah. listen in and kind of tune in to the, the self-talk that may not be serving us well and is often very critical and, and can be even harsh and shifting that to, yeah. like you said, being much more compassionate and having a lot more grace. I actually, um, when my kids were little, I was very into meditating and Buddhism. Mm-hmm. My husband is a Buddhist, actually. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we t- I took them every summer to family camp, family Buddhist camp. And mm. it was a, like meditating, but kid, fr- like kid appropriate friendly. for yeah. children. Yeah, right, not like right. you sit down and you meditate. Right, for three hours. <laughs> yes, exactly. We had to do that, not them. You know, it was more of a camp situation. <laughs> for them. And I think that has been hugely impactful on their lives. My husband meditates almost daily. And I used to for many years, but once I started this business, I kind of, you know, it fell off the wagon. Is it on the wagon, off the wagon? I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) But he has really made an effort to keep that as part of their lives. And while the younger two may not do it often, even just talking about it or bringing it to their awareness, I think it's like my eldest will tell you that has been a huge impact on her life because she actually did it a lot mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. And we talk about mindful, you know, based strategies a lot here. And my whole uh, Be Calm system is built on a kind of a foundation of that mindful awareness of being present with our children and being available to them in the ways that they need us to be, especially as, you know, the heated moments kick in. And so that, that, that's a beautiful reminder, again, starting young, early, often, consistent modeling, right? Doing yeah. it for them or doing it because we're doing it for ourselves, but they get to see and we're inviting and including them as, you know, as they're able and willing and wanting to, to do that. And I think actually it translate very, translates very well into food and eating. Mindful yes. eating is so important to not overeating, to enjoying your food, right. to paying attention to your food. It's a, it's yeah. a mindfulness practice in itself. Yes. And I think when possible, eating as a family together yes. um, is so powerful. And, it, you know, it's been studied how impactful that is on the mental health of kids. And right. I've made an effort to do that from when they were little, even yeah. if my husband couldn't make it every time home, he, you know, he tries, yeah. I would do it with them and sit with right. them. And I think it's a very positive reinforcement and message around food. Yes. And, you know, just I, when I eat at home alone in the days because I work from home, I put all my cell phones away, my computers away, and I really just eat and sit and be mindful right. with that food. Yeah. And even cooking is a mindfulness practice. So, right. you know, it's, and if you think of it like that and being present with your cooking, you will really mm -hmm. start to enjoy it more. Absolutely. Very, very well said. I love that, you know, this whole season, we've been talking more about neurodiversity and, you know, sensory experiences and sensory processing can be a part of what some of our children and our families are, are contending with. And especially, as you mentioned, around food, you know, food is such a sensory experience, right? You're looking, you're smelling, you're tasting, and it's bringing so many of those things together. And for some of our children, it can be a very, can be a very tough thing for them if they're overwhelmed by the flavors or the smells or all of those different things because the the brain is just struggling to connect and interpret you know the pleasure that they might you know get out of something versus the the displeasure or dissatisfaction so thank you for that reminder that we all can be more mindful and present when we eat by ourselves with our families because it does impact our experience yeah. Yes, definitely. And I think there's so much sensory overload in the world today right. that we just forget the simple things like food and exactly. eating, you know? Exactly. And food has that first, you know, medicine, that first fuel, as our, you know, proverb was reminding us. And it's, it's kind of that foundational place that we need to survive. And yet, as you mentioned, distractions can pull us away so easily. So. Yes. Good. Well, as we close, you know, the word of the year is overflow and abundance. And so I, I'm closing and asking many of our guests what that word means for them in this year. Um, so for me, I think what I thought a lot about during COVID and, you know, is sort of going back to basics because I get overwhelmed by overflow. I struggle with I get anxiety when things are so big or there's so many people or you go to a mall or, you know, I tend to be more simple in that respect. Mm. I don't need to buy a lot of clothes. I don't need the most fancy furniture. Like all of that stuff for me is it's 
not going to make me happy, the overflow, mm-hmm. the abundance. I think mm-hmm. actually simplicity makes me happy. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Just basic yeah. things, like a few basic items and that you need, Ooh. and you can really enjoy those. Sure. To the abundance, right? To the full. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. Find abundance in <laughs> the simplicity. How's that? <laughs> yes, I, I, I love that. That's a yeah, great take on the fact that we can sometimes overcomplicate our lives, overcomplicate things. And one of the things I too am trying to hold on to was the simplicity, the, the paring down of things that was kind of forced on us in the pandemic. And so I love thinking about that. And I'll definitely have to think more about you know, simplifying to find abundance in the simple things and the basic yes, things. I like that. Yeah. And, you know, if you even think back to our children when they were very little, they were so simple, you right, know, like right. they weren't like, it wasn't complicated for them yet. to make them happy or to yeah. have fun with them. Absolutely. And Kids so just need- see the very base. They, they are simple in that sense. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. And for me in relation to food, you know, I, I sometimes will picture or you know, just come to mind recently, just the idea of like abundant produce or just fresh, you know, gardens, like full of, you know, bursting, you know, tomatoes or, you know, a, a lemon tree that's full of lemons. And so, so I think and so I love just visualizing abundance in plants and food and in that way, right? Just coming up from the earth in a garden on a hillside in a, you know, in a store and, you know, we're so thankful and so blessed that we have access to, you know, we drive down in California, the corn, the, not the cornfields, but like the fields, right? The almond right. groves, the avocados, like the, to me, I, I picture that and that just makes me happy to think about food in that way, that it's grown in abundance more than, more than enough for us. And we sh- we're sharing it really with the world from California as well. And so it's it's really in many ways a privilege and an honor, right? To to be so close to and have some such access to um, more than enough food yeah. that we we can share. And I think going back to your original proverb is like that nature provides abundance. We don't have to purchase mm-hmm. material things for abundance. We can just mm. walk and observe nature and be present and we will see abundance there and beautiful in a beautiful way. You know? All around us. That's right. If we take the time to notice it. Yes. Great, Nisha. Thank you so much for you know sharing all of this with us. How can people find you and follow you? So I am on Instagram at cooking for peanuts you know, cooking for kids or cooking for no money at that time. (laughs) And I have a blog where all the recipes are printable. And I talk a bit more about myself and that's cookingforpeanuts.com. And you can also link to purchase my book on the homepage there. And the book is also practically vegan available. You know, if you even Google that, I'm sure it will come up, but it's available on Amazon. It's available in Barnes and Nobles. It's available on the Penguin Random House website, and it's available in a lot of independent stores around the country. And if you, you know, have a local bookstore, you can go in and ask them to, if they have it or to even order it for you, which is great because it increases awareness of the book and they will be able to do that for you. Oh, that's lovely. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Absolutely. 
Thank you for joining us for yet another interview. So excited to be able to connect with you and support you further if you'd like. I work with engaged parents who are ready to turn behavior challenges into opportunities by being calm and present in the moment with your child. And so you can begin that process by attending my free webinar at BeCalmParenting.com. And then you'll see the link to register to attend that webinar and be able to connect for a strategy session to see if working together can support you in any way in your parenting journey. So may you be full of abundance and overflow as you press forward with your day and continue to change the world one child at a time, one day at a time. Hey, everybody, I want to share with you a really cool announcement. My name is Seth Perler, and I have an online summit called TIFOS, the Executive Function Online Summit for Compassionate and Proactive Parents, where we give you a, a bunch of knowledge, things to know, and a bunch of actions, things to do to support your child who might struggle with executive function. And Ikua Walker is one of our amazing speakers this year. It's an incredible summit at Executive Function Summit. Summit.com. It's free. And you go to executivefunctionsummit.com, plop your email in. You can come the weekend for free and really look forward to having you here from all these amazing experts. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Moms Changing the World with host Akua Walker. The information shared on this show is meant for educational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for medical intervention or professional therapy. All views shared on the show are that of the speakers only and do not represent any institution. To be a part of the community, visit www.momschangingtheworld.org. There you'll find ways to connect with and support the moms we interview and find out how to work with Akua as a parenting coach. Join us next time for more encouragement and support to be a mom changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.